White Sox fans, welcome to another episode of the 35th and Shields podcast. My name is Patrick Flowers, and I'll be your host. Uh, as you may have read or heard by now, last night, White Sox general manager Rick Hahn uh, had plenty to say during his media availability at the general manager's meetings in Arizona. So I am going to be joined today by David Wildman to discuss all that Han said last night and this morning. We're going to talk about our hopes for the 2019-2020 White Sox free agent class and how that potential class might move the needle for the White Sox in 2020. We're also going to touch on a little Jake Berger news uh, that surfaced here today, Wednesday morning, regarding uh, his recovery from multiple Achilles surgeries and um, the once-promising prospect and first-round pick what he, what he might, what his future might hold, even when he does finally get healthy. So, without further ado, I am joined by David Wildman, who you can find on Twitter at David underscore Wildman eighty eight. Hey, Dave, how you doing today? Hey, Pat, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on. So you heard? Yeah, thanks for having me. I love this. No problem. So give me your impression of Rick Hahn's comments last night at the general manager meetings before we talk about him kind of walking them back a little bit today. You know, what What I liked about what Hahn had to say yesterday was, you know, he he spent three years hyping up last year's offseason. Um, you know, we all know what happened with that, so... You know, for him to come out yesterday and at least acknowledge that he understands that we're all tired of, you know, the White Sox talking, 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 and then not delivering. But, you know, you have Kenny walking into the GM meetings at the beginning of the week talking about how they're there to do more work than usual. So it was it was nice to hear them change the tone a little bit. And, you know, he said people aren't too interested in hearing about the, label, the labor. They want to see the baby. So it's... A weird way of, of putting it but um, you know the message is the same and, and I appreciate at least him showing a little understanding that I think we're all a little sick of, of his nice words yeah absolutely I think that was the most retweeted or regurgitated uh, quote from all of it was that the people were tired of hearing about the labor and we wanted to see the baby um, you know we've all laid out our ideal plans for this offseason and most of them include at least one if not two starting pitchers to add to the rotation and Han actually mentioned last night that two starting pitchers was a possibility and that if and when Rodon and Kopech come back healthy and join the team that they'll worry about that problem when it happens meaning that they would have one starter at least expendable for the trade market what are your thoughts on that I think it makes sense um you know, we're at the point now where we need to have some, some major league talent. You know, if their idea of two major league pitchers is, you know, Zach Wheeler and then Irvin Santana 2.0, then it doesn't really matter. But as far as I'm concerned, the more major league proven arms that they can bring in, the better. I think we're all on the same page that we'd love to have Zach Wheeler in realistically. You know, there's the big two out there, which I think we're all pretty much confident that we're not going to be in on, at least in a serious way. But, um, you know, Kopech is still an unknown. 
he's coming off a significant arm injury. He has some personal stuff that's kind of always going on that, you know, a lot of young 20-somethings have. But, you know, that's been a little worrisome to me to watch kind of unfold, honestly. And, you know, Rodon, what can you count on from him anymore? So as far as I'm concerned, you've got Tees penciled in. You've got Lopez, who a lot of people are kind of ready to trade. And then you've got Giolito penciled in, hopefully as an ace. So as far as I'm concerned, the more major league proven pitching talent you can bring in, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you were telling me earlier that uh, he kind of walked back some of those comments today. I haven't seen those, so if you could share that with us and what exactly he he doubled or uh, walked back on from last night. Yeah, so today he said, uh, you know, yesterday he was, you know, saying how he felt that, you know, the Sox are always looking to bring in impact guys, and sometimes if that means trading away from the minor league depth that they've built up, they'll do it. But today he said, and I quote, if you're talking about a guy on a one-year basis, we're not to that point yet. And if we do get to that point, that's going to be a tough trigger to pull because we're trying to build something sustainable for an extended period of time. Quick hits don't necessarily do that, end quote. So I think he's talking about Mookie Betts, right? <laughs> he, he has to be. The, that, that's, that was exactly the first thing that popped in my head. Mookie Betts and or J.D. Martinez, either of those two guys from Boston that uh, have been floated around as potential trade targets for the White Sox, because both of them obviously fit a hole in right field and designated hitter. Uh, I'm happy to hear that. I talked about it on uh, the last episode, that I don't necessarily want them to give up any of the depth for Mookie Betts, I named in particular, and I, I, don't, I don't want J.D. Martinez either unless we're signing him for dollars in, on the open market. Um I agree with Han there. I'm good with that. What about you? Yeah, you know, I'm glad that we're not going to trade away, you know, a package headline by what would probably be Madrigal or Vaughn for a guy like Mookie Betts, who I don't think that we would pony up for, even if we had him on a one-year deal. Um, The Sox are in the position that they're in today because historically they've been – very aggressive in in trading guys away that are a couple months away from the bigs and you know up until the James Shields trade it didn't sting us too bad but I I do appreciate the commitment to taking the long term approach and they're sticking with that my question would be though to you you know he said that we're not at that point yet do you think that with a couple good signings on the open market they could be at that point and say you know two months um, I think that if they have a solid winter and they make the signings that we think they need to make, let's say they don't fill all the holes, but they, they add one of the two right field and DH positions, and let's say they add uh, at least one arm into that starting rotation to fill the void until either Rodon and or Kopech comes back. I feel a lot better about that. I think that moves us towards in 80-85 win team in 2020 um so i guess the long and short is no i I don't think that anything we can do this winter is going to put us in a position to be able to sell off depth from within for a one-year rental like mookie Betts. because i I don't realistically see the Sox filling every single hole this winter 
I agree with you. You know, I, I think that we we honestly don't even really know, you know, how many holes we have yet. I think they still need to address catcher. We didn't, yeah, sure we didn't even mention totally catcher. Cognizant of that. Um, but I, I, I think that there still needs to be at least another couple of months of assessing where this roster is at. We know a couple of additions that need to be made, but I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel like right now there's a trade we could make that would put us over the top unless we do what Bowden is smoking about and sign Rendon and move Moncada to second, at which point Madrigal does become a pretty valuable trade piece, but I don't think that's happening. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't I don't necessarily feel comfortable with moving Moncada back to second base either. Um, he, that, he had such a good year. I feel like, you know, you just if it's not fixed – if it's not broke, don't fix it. I don't, I don't want to move him off of third base, but I, I believe Han did say he was open to the potential of not leaving somebody locked into one position if it meant making the team better last night as well. So I guess that, yeah, I, I guess that could I be agree. a possibility. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> no, I, I agree on the Moncada front. I, I think he showed a ton of value defensively as a third baseman. Um, you know, I, I would get roasted for saying this, but I just I don't think as the team is constructed and is going to be constructed, we need Rendon. And like you said, you know, locking up that kind of money into signing him just really doesn't make sense when third base is far from one of our bigger needs. Yeah, totally agree. And you said something a few minutes ago. Um, as we were wrapping up the potential of, you know, are we one trade away? And you said, we don't have a roster. And that's exactly what Rick Hahn said last night at one point. He said, quote, we don't have a roster. Uh, quote, we don't have our first baseman back right now. We don't have any of the needs I talked about addressing done yet. Close quote. So that brings us to another interesting point is we don't even have a first baseman right now, technically. You know? <laughs> Jose Abreu, decision day is tomorrow, Thursday. He has to decide whether he's going to accept or decline the White Sox $17.8 million qualifying offer. Um, I, do they do they get an extension done before that? I highly doubt it. I think he's just – I think he'll I – I think he'll decline the qualifying offer and make them negotiate with him. As much as he wants to be here – I, I, if I'm Jose Abreu, I kind of feel like the White Sox put that qualifying offer on me to to depress my market and uh, you know take the advantage in the, at the negotiating table over me in ter- as far as what kind of money I can get out of an extension from them. Yeah, I I don't think the Sox want him to accept that qualifying offer. Um, you know, I I think you know it's been said for years that the organization values. Jose Abreu more, you know, higher than the league, uh, you know, and that's, you know, that's a topic that's been beaten to death. And I, you know, I, I maintain that it rings true. I think Jose does provide more value to the team than you could put into the stat book and his stats are still good. You know, he, he's got a profile that I think should age pretty well. Um, you, you talk about his age, he's on the wrong side of 30 you know, but I, I think the Sox don't want Jose here for one year, seventeen and a half million. 
I think both sides would be looking at something closer to three, maybe like a mutual option for a fourth year in, you know, the 45 to $50 million total range. So I think that they wanted to attach that draft pick to him. And, you know, I saw a report today from somewhere that the Marlins are sniffing around on him, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, are turned off by the draft pick. So I think that a, a three- or four-year extension will get done. I don't expect him to pick up the qualifying offer, and, I, you know, I think that it's, it's pretty set in stone that he'll be back for at least a multi-year extension. Yeah, I, I agree on the money and the, and the years, and I actually... I uh, I meant to say that I, I think that uh, he would accept it. I've, if is my reasoning before was if he felt offended by them putting on it and them trying to depress his market and negotiating process for him and how much money he can earn. If I was him, I would just accept a seventeen point eight million dollar deal. The money they Sox don't probably want to pay him in that position and make them negotiate from there. But we'll we'll see what happens. This might this might have also been an internal conversation between the two sides already, and they agreed on this process. Yeah, it's certainly possible. The, the the mutual admiration that these two sides have, and you know, for an organization that likes to do so much lawyer speak like the Sox do, they've come out pretty unequivocally and said we want this dude back. So, um, I, I like I said, I think it's a, a pretty much a given, and I, I would expect a long term deal to be wrapped up probably within the next two or three weeks. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I was going through some notes from uh, last night, and I was also looking at Yolmer Sanchez. What do you, you think is going to happen with Yolmer here? Do you think the Sox pick up the $6.2 million arbitration number there? That's a tough one. Uh, I think that Sanchez is another dude that organizationally we're very, very fond of him. Um, 6.2 is a bit high for what I think he should be, which is a utility guy. Um, you know, the, the gold glove, it's sort of weird hearing everybody say gold glove winning second baseman because it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like he's of that prestige, but, um, I, I would imagine Sanchez will be back in a bench role for at least another year. Um, you know, he's another clubhouse guy. He's an organizational favorite. Um, 6.2, with how much money we, we don't have on the books, I guess gun to head, I'd say I, I could see them picking that up. Yeah, me too. I mean, there's there's a ton of money to go around. I just, it's, like you said, eventually Madrigal is going to give way to, or I'm sorry, Yolmer's going to give way to Madrigal at second base, so he's going to be, relegated to a bench role and that's going to be a very expensive utility guy especially when Leori Garcia can do the same thing at a lesser price tag so good problems to have though yeah <laughs> for once finally <laughs> for once um give me the guys that you think the White Sox will end up with when it's all said and done and how many wins do they add for wow. next year? Okay. I, you know, I've been trying to avoid having to do this. 
put it on record. <laughs> I, I, I really, I really got hurt last year. I, I got really burned. Um, you know, I was pretty upset. So I think, I think the big splash signing will be Zach Wheeler. Um, I feel pretty good that they're going to go out and get that done. Um, I think Yasmani Grandal is another great target that would be really nice to pick up. Um, I'm not sold on James McCann. I love the story from last year, but as a long, you know, is he a long-term perennial all-star? I don't think so. His second half was, was much more down to earth. So I'd really like to see him make a run at Grand Hall. Um, Ryu from LA, um, he sort of burst out last year at the age of 32. I think he'd be a great lefty pitcher. So if we're talking two pitchers, I think those would probably be your two and get a lefty and a righty. Um, I think Nick Castellanos, you talked about him in the last show. I would be thrilled if we picked up Castellanos. Um, So I think those would sort of be my three that I can really picture up there with Han on stage trying on their jerseys. Um, You know, some secondary options, Cole Hamels would be pretty meh. I'm, I'm worried that they would try and sell that as the big sign in the offseason. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. Um, and then, you know, Puig and Encarnacion are both guys that I could see but would be sort of underwhelmed. But I oh. think my dream free agent class would be Wheeler, Cassianos, Grandal, and uh, Ryu. And I think that right there, I mean, you're talking about taking Zach Wheeler and plugging him in where you had sort of the revolving door, Dylan Covey and the bullpen and whatever, making starts there. And then you plug in Ryu as a lefty, filling in, you know, at least until Rodon is back. And then Cassianos and Wright, uh, an all-star catcher. And then you add in Robert in center, Madrigal at second. I think you're looking at a, dare I say, 10 to 15 win improvement. And the 15 wins would be nice. That would put us definitely right between the Twins and the Indians. I think we'd surp- jump the Indians next year at that point. And, uh, you know, depending on what kind of regression to the mean the Twins have after their insane home run offensive production year they had last year, we might not be too far behind them. Yeah, that's sort of, you know, I, I think there's an avenue to make this team a playoff contender. And then you kind of roll around to the deadline, and then we're in a position to be a buyer of the deadline. And that's when I could see us swinging on a really, really big name. Yeah. It's more, more like the one-year rental theory that we were talking about before. If, if, you, if you were to win the winter... He actually referenced being winning the winter, being the the winningers of the off season last night. But if you were to win the winter, and I think your your dream scenario would would be close to as good as it gets for them this winter, and they were to perform to expectation or better than expectation, I think then I would change my opinion near the All Star break, and I would be a lot more comfortable trading uh, from within for a, a one year player that can get us over the hump. In, uh, Definitely, in I, I think I think that's where they would be at too. Uh, you know, I think that would be if you're at the All Star break and you know you're neck and neck with the Twins or you know you're with the Indians for a wild card spot. I don't think they'd be af- 
afraid to, to step up and swing. Yeah. I uh, I think Grandal obviously is should be number one on their list. I, I don't know. You know, like you said, James McCann, great story last year. A lot of regression in the second half to his career numbers. I don't think he's the guy. Grandal should be at the top. And then Zach Wheeler, maybe 1A right right next to him. Um, you know, as a righty, add him to the rotation. Jay Goderizzi is another name you can pick up, you know, plug in there if you want to grab a second starter and still be able to spread money around uh, in the outfield or designated hitter spot. What do you think about Marcelo Zuna? So Marcelo Zuna is he's an interesting case. Um, you know, he had a couple years in Miami where he looked like maybe the next big thing. Um, you know, I, I think his two years in St. Louis were maybe more who he is. I mean, you look at his last year in Miami as a 26-year-old, he hit 312 with 37 homers and 124 RBIs. The dude is only 28, um, you know, but last year he, he's down to hitting 241. And the power numbers are still there. I'd be happy with Ozuna. I, I think that, you know, his his floor is concerning. His first year in St. Louis, he had a significant dip in power and really wasn't getting on base. But, um, you know, that's one where if you're going to get him on a reasonable deal, I, I, I'd like it, but I could see it going very, very badly, too. And I'd like the Sox to avoid getting back into the habit of, of signing these guys. I mean, you Adam Dunn comes to mind, a mm-hmm. big contract that just went horribly wrong. Obviously, Adam LaRoche, you know, the locker room thing was a disaster, but he was <laughs> terrible on the field, too. So, you know, Ozuna kind of sets off alarm bells in my head as, a, as an expensive low floor signing that yeah. would just be like oh, god here we go again but you know sitting sitting here today in the middle of November I wouldn't hate it yeah I, I think initially Ozuna was my you know number one outfield target you know when the season or I, we watched him and we got we got a good look at him in the playoffs and I think that that has helped me get more excited about the potential of, of Marcelo Ozuna taking over that right field role or even maybe taking over the left field role when they inevitably move Eloy into the DH role. Who knows when that happens, but uh, I think Castellanos is more realistic, and I think you can spread the money around better and, and fill, fill more of the glaring holes if you go with Castellanos. And I, I, I like Castellanos. I, I agree with you. I, I think that the way this team is constructed – you know, if you want to draw parallels to the Bulls rebuild, where they're lacking that star player. They couldn't grow it internally, and they can't get it externally. Right. I think the Sox have done a great job where they've ended up, they're going to home grow their, you know, superstar. Whether it's Marcada, Jimenez, Robert, whoever, I firmly believe one of those guys will be, is, you know, the type of player that's the best on a championship team. So we're really lucky that we don't need to go out and do that. So I think you're right that spreading the money and just getting quality major leaguers to plug these holes would really go a long way. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, you got anything else before we wrap up here, Dave? No, I, I hate to end on a on a down note, but uh, more bad news from Rick Hahn on the Jake Berger front today. Oh yes, Jake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's he has you know yeah. What was the exact report again? I'm trying to pull it up here. Uh, he 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 was supposed to get some at bats in the fall league right. and didn't. Han said he's still having pain and tenderness and that now twice torn Achilles region um, didn't get any action in the fall league. You know, you hate to you hate to write the book on a dude, but that's now he's going to be in year three of not having played in a professional baseball game and he's never seen a pitch above Cannabis. Right. So, um, you know, it, it's it's sad, but and that was, where would he even where would he even fit on this major league roster? You know, two years if he was able to come. Yeah, and in two years is two years might actually be on the expedited side for a guy who's still dealing with lingering soreness from the surgery, which was, geez, had almost a year ago now. I mean, the second surgery was last winter. He he tore it in spring training of twenty eighteen. Okay, twenty eighteen. And then so the second surgery, I think, was somewhere in the twenty eighteen season. He tore it like mid season and started that whole process from square one. And so here we are now, almost two years removed from that, he still can't get on the field. Yeah, that's even worse than I thought. I thought that the second surgery was a year ago. That's more closer to a year and a half or longer. That's that's pretty damning for the prospects of his long-term baseball career. Yeah, you know, and, and with Berger... You know, let's say that he's part of the spring training roster in 2020 and is completely healthy. You know, this kid's got a lot of work to do to become a major league quality third baseman. You know, back in 2017, 51 games in, you know, rookie league and and low A, you know, he wasn't overwhelming by any means. So, I mean, you know, he breaks camp with the A-ball team out of spring training this year and... You know, we don't even know developmentally if this dude's ever going to be a major leaguer without the injuries. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, that's unfortunate. Uh, that's a, that's kind of a, you're right, man. That was a somber note. Um, I feel bad for him. <laughs> I really feel bad for Jake Berger because you and I both know firsthand how hard players, all the way down to the high school level, work to get to that point and to have it, you know, taken away from you uh, by injuries. That's that's pretty unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, you hate to see it. You you really, really do. And Jake seems like a good kid and you know I I'm pretty sure he got his degree, so hopefully he'll be okay. Uh, you know, if, if baseball ends up not working out, but like you said, it, it does make you sad to think about all the hours that this kid put in to get drafted and then just have his body give out on him. Definitely. Dave Thanks for joining me today. Hopefully we could hook up again real soon and talk about uh, some of the things we discussed today coming to fruition this winter, right? 
Hopefully, man. Hopefully we have good news these next couple of weeks. But uh, thanks for having me. Always love talking socks. Absolutely. I'll talk to you next time, buddy. All right, Sox fans, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the 35th and Shields podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, leave us your thoughts and opinions on the text and voicemail line. Again, that's 312-728-8213. And make sure you go ahead and follow David Wildman on Twitter at David underscore Wildman 88. And I'll talk to you soon.